first ever episode of Hugging the Bars podcast. Each episode, I'll be chatting with someone from any of the many different pockets of the craft beer world and beyond. We'll talk about big issues like representation and little things like favorite current beer trends, just like you would with a pal at the bar. If you'd like first access to these episodes, become a patron on Hugging the Bar's Patreon. You can find it by searching Hugging the Bar on Patreon's site or through the link in the newsletter issues corresponding to every episode. I'm so thrilled that this first episode features one of my very favorite beer writers, Ruveni De Silva, who tells beautiful stories about everything from identity and visibility in beer to the ingredients that go into the liquid we're all here to talk about. I know you'll enjoy this interview, and you can find links to Ruveni's work and social media pages in the most recent issue of the newsletter. Cheers! All right. Uh, so we are here with Ruveni De Silva. I am so excited to have you, especially as a first guest, because I am such a huge fan of your writing and your social media profiles. And I think you're just such a bright light in the beer industry. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, you are too kind, Courtney. It's so lovely to um, actually meet you um, almost in person, in person, because I'm also um, a, a big a big fan of your work and I'm very excited um, yeah, to be taking part in this. So thank you so much for inviting me. Yay, I love this. Um, okay, uh, well, so I'm actually a really big geek for people's sort of like gateway beers and entries. I love hearing like your origin story as a sort of beer person, right? So um, let's just start with that most basic question so just sort of how you got interested in craft beer and like where your journey started um so I really got into beer through um real ale English cask ale which um I've always drunk as a younger person um but I went to my first great British beer festival in 2005 which was when it sort of really hit me how exciting it was I'd just never seen so many different beers in one place and I really fell in love with it um, and then I became a member of uh, Camera, the campaign for Real Ale, uh, and really sort of was very much into um, into the the English ales. Um, then, um, as we were just talking about before we started recording, I started travelling to the US a lot. Um, initially uh, primarily for work and I began to sort of notice when I went places oh look at all these these interesting beers I've never heard of this what's that and so I would just start buying them and 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 drinking them and getting really really excited about them and start looking out for different ones thinking of what have I had before what haven't I had before sort of all the different Sierra Nevadas um Lagunitas, Rogue, uh, Stone, everyone like that and yeah, I just found the beer just amazing. And then I started looking out for the few places in the UK that served it. Um, and it would sort of be like a hunt around London. Who's got some American craft beer? And then when the scene, I mean, the actual brewing scene took off in London, I was sort of, I was very ready. Yeah. <laughs> I was very ready. I, I jumped right on it. But I sort of, I never sort of stopped being um, really, really into um, English cast beer either. But I didn't. I've never sort of seen them as a competition. I really love both, and I've kept up my um my interest um for both very much. So how I want to actually get to some of those differences in a second. But how how did you sort of start to tr- like turn that interest and hobby into more than just a hobby? Like how did you sort of know it was something you wanted to pursue professionally, and how did you start going about that? <laughs> 
Um, that's a very good question. Um, in terms of sort of being involved in, in the beer scene as, as more than a drinker, um, I started off volunteering, um, at camera, volunteering at events, um, serving on the bar. At that time, my primary, my actual job was in PR and communications. So I started volunteering for, to do their PR and communications for festivals and events. Um, just yet yeah, purely in a volunteer capacity. I got involved with a craft beer, uh, group, um, called Boozers Without Borders who raised money for help refugees. Um, and we did um, specific beer events. And then we also started um, doing walking tours around um, East London, specifically for tourists, but basically for anyone who just wanted to sort of explore the craft beer, the local craft beer scene um, in East London. So I was doing that um, for a couple of years before I left the UK. Uh, I wasn't writing about beer professionally, but as someone sort of, yeah, who's like full background is in PR and, and academia. I've always been a writer. And when I moved over here to the States, um, I couldn't legally work. So <laughs> I started my blog because I would have to have something to do. <laughs> um, and you know, I was just so, so enamored with the local beer scene here in Austin. I just wanted to share that with people really sort of everything that was amazing about it. And I felt it was so sort of under, underserved, um, and I wanted to just get other people, visitors, people who may not have thought of visiting Austin as a craft beer destination, um, interested. And then once I'd been doing that for a while, and then when I was sort of able to work, I thought, well, I, I, I'm really enjoying this. This is really good. This is, this is something I really care about. And I quite like to sort of take this forward professionally. Oh, that's, that's a really fun journey. And everyone always has like a different, right? I feel like everyone comes from like some other career and like leverages those skills differently, which I think is always really cool to find out about. Um, so since yes. you have experienced the beer scenes in both England and the States, you know, specifically being in Texas, I, I did want to sort of ask you like how, what's, what is maybe the same, if anything, what is different? Like how have you sort of found the beer cultures and, and lifestyles between the two places? Um, that's a very good question. I mean, I miss the pub a lot. There, there's the, the brewery experience is amazing and it's unique and it's the closest thing we kind of have to the pub here, but it's still not the pub. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. It's, I mean, it's, I think it's much more how pubs used to be sort of really before my time when a pub was actually um, in a chain relationship with a brewery, which was much more of a historic thing back home. Whereas now pubs are, yep, they like bars but like breweries but cozier and and there's many 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 more of them um and it's just it's a very very different experience so i do i do miss that a lot um i miss real ale a lot but fortunately we have a really really good brewery very nearby to our house that makes really good english style real ale on cars mm -hmm. so that helps um in terms of the scene obviously the uk is so much smaller um so 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 much smaller but beer is so sort of and different beers are much more ingrained in our culture i think beer appreciation isn't the kind of new thing that it is in america sort of you know, since the craft beer boom sort of began like late 80s early 90s and going forward you know we've uh, for us that the the whole history of of traditional english style beer and uh, importing european style beers is behind us so we have we have all of that going for like 
the interest in drinking different things and appreciating it. And then I can say that and in the same breath say I'm really sick of having New England IPAs in London because people still haven't moved on from that like they have here. So <laughs> Bill gets that. Um, yeah, it's, I'm it's, probably it's, contradicting myself a bit, but there are a lot of differences. Yeah. Um, okay, so th- to start to move on a little bit to your writing, um, you know, visibility, inclusion, representation, pushing for these is at the core of a lot of your work. Like events that you do, you you've been on panels for things like the Beer Culture Summit, uh, and then your actual writing, uh, like your incredible good beer hunting story a rare gem or a llama in a suit south asian women on navigating and advancing the craft beer industry um which everyone needs to go read if they haven't yet uh so what kind of power do you think beer writers have to help open this industry up make more space bring more people to the table and and just really change the way that this entire community sort of looks and feels i think that. As beer writers, um, we almost have a responsibility to do that because even people who perhaps don't read all the beer publications, who don't sort of follow the industry in the way that sort of like full-on beer nerds do, um, the only way to, to really, as you said, sort of shine a light on different people, different perspectives, is to put that out there and then it will travel by word of mouth. Whereas if things are going on in the industry um, and no one's reporting on them, then nobody is ever going to know. <laughs> Um, it's interesting that you phrased it like that because one of my sort of big inspirations as a beer writer is Melissa Cole back in London. Um, she's not only uh, my neighbour when I'm there, but um, <laughs> always been terribly, terribly encouraging of me. She was the first professional female beer writer in the UK, but the power of her words is just enormous. There's been um, a big, ridiculous, um, unfortunate backlash against Camera, who put out a diversity and inclusion um, survey recently to try and make their events you know, a more safe and more welcoming space for people from different backgrounds. And some of the um, old camera guard got a bit up in arms about it. And she wrote an absolutely wonderful piece in the Telegraph, which is a big, very high profile newspaper um, in the UK, really (laughs) shutting that down and expressing and explaining quite how and why people were wrong to try and and keep beer pigeonholed in a certain um, demographic and also citing the history of beer and how um, these people are misrepresenting it. And I think that it's that kind of power that we have as writers that we have to channel and we have to not forget that we have in terms of having a responsibility to everyone who works in the industry, everyone who drinks, everyone who participates anyway, and people who might or who might want to, but who might not know that there's a place for them, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, perfect sense. Um, I haven't read that piece from Melissa Cole yet, but... Uh, I need to. I, yeah, everyone. I everyone needs to read that too. I think. Um, so on the subject of writing, uh, one of the things that I just find extra compelling about your work uh, that always brings me right into any piece I see that you publish, um, you you have this great openness and and candidness and honesty about your work I think your writing is really relatable whatever you're talking about uh so again for good beer hunting you wrote about community cultures yeast lab um and then even on your blog you know you you 
tackle some more like serious personal sort of, um, you know, just issues going on in life that obviously extend beyond just craft beer in all of it. You know, you're going from just being really raw and relatable to having this contagious enthusiasm. Uh, it's such a unique, special voice, essentially. I know I'm just like gushing at you, um, but just to whatever extent you sort of want to get into it, I'm just sort of curious about your writing process, you know, like how you're approaching things and, and how um, how that sort of all unfurls for you, your process. Um, I think that there, it's very much how you describe that there are the two sides of it. There are the sort of moments when I wake up in the night and think I absolutely have to write about this because I just can't stop thinking about it. And the only way I can ever stop thinking about it is if I can get it down yeah. and write it and put it out there. Um, and if people don't like it, then I'm just going to have to deal with that. And so are they. But um, the things that just just gnaw and niggle away, whether it's about the beer industry or the sort of broader cultural subjects that I talk about or the places where the two conflate. And then there are things like uh, the Community Cultures Project I did, which is a perfect example, where I've really sort of had to ferret away and learn and just beer learn and beer learn. <laughs> Um, to make it come together which don't flow easily or naturally for me but I still think it's just so fascinating and interesting that I want to just sort of get my head down and get it right so that I can then share it with other people so that they understand it and I think that they, those are the sort of yeah they're very different ways of writing but I definitely do um, do, do both and it's nice when they come together but it's <laughs> not guaranteed at any, at any given moment um, some of the pieces I've worked on for uh, beer is for everyone have been about issues that I felt very strongly about but I've had to sort of put a very sort of high level of like borderline academic degree of diligence into um, fact checking and getting really really precise um, descriptions uh, definitions understandings when I've sort of written about things like toxic gratitude um, and uh, when I wrote about sort of what what the the problem with the umbrella term of Asian um, in relation to stop API hate, mm -hmm. so I think things like that where I've really had to yeah dig deep and pull on my academic experience, my personal knowledge, my personal experience, and you know, my knowledge of the beer industry and what's what goes on and what has gone on is when it all sort of ties together. But then when I'm doing something that's sort of purely beer, um, beer nerd, beer like knowledge focused, then that's yeah, I've got to got to really, really work hard to um to get to grips with those concepts. Yeah, a lot of those pieces are definitely you're firing on all cylinders and sort of draw drawing all that in. Um, but yeah, it, it's just that's why I had to ask. It's just there's so much uh, sort of, you know, variety in your work, but it's it all has this like cohesive, just like this again, like just a really honest, relatable voice. Um, so I want to also ask you about. Uh, just because I've seen just like tweets here and there, I think from other sort of beer and, and general, you know, drinks writers uh, in the past few months, maybe more since the start of the pandemic, because I feel like that put a lot into a different perspective. So when we're talking about being a drinks writer, um, do you think that there are any specific um, differences between that and maybe other beats that people might have, like any 
any specific challenges when it comes to coming up with ideas or, you know, getting taken seriously in some situations or, you know, having your work feel appropriately valued? Like, have you run into anything there? Um, I definitely think that coming from any kind of marginalized group, if you were in any space that is not traditionally, historically, and even in a contemporary context, um, a space where you were known to have, have some status, you were going to come across those issues. I wouldn't say to me that they are specific to writing in the drinks industry, but I also haven't written professionally in, well, I mean, I do a bit of food writing, but aside from that, I haven't written professionally in any other industry, but I can certainly imagine um, that that would be the case. I certainly know, um, having worked in um, industries where I have not been a um, historic uh, natural fit, I have come across exactly the same problems that um, I've had in this industry. So for me, I would not say that it's limited. I can't and I wouldn't, wouldn't ever want to speak for anyone else's experience. But um, having worked made most of my career in book publishing and then charities and nonprofits, I've had very, very similar experiences um, in these very historically uh, white cis male dominated industries. And I don't think that that is specific to beer or even drinks writing and I also don't think it's going to go away unless we make it so um I don't think it's a case of sort of wait sitting back and, and waiting for things to change in any industry I think that if you're from a group well, who is not historically represented somewhere and you want to do something you have to do it and not sort of wait sit back and wait for someone else to sort of um say hey, okay it's okay for you to come in now but um I mean, when I worked in book publishing, uh, there was a um, um, diverse publishing, um, publisher association, I believe, diversity committee on which I was the only person of colour. So <laughs> this is, these, these are not, not new issues right. for me <laughs> at all. But that's not to say that it makes it easier. Um, and it's also not to say it's not a problem in drinks writing because obviously it is. I mean, we know this and with with everything that happened last year, we know it's not just drinks writing. We know it's everything about the drinks and hospitality industry that needs a full upheaval. But that as writers, we have a role to play in that as much as, as anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of, because maybe this can be a help through some of this that, you know, because as you said, beer writers have a responsibility to be, you know, helping to change the way that this industry can look and feel. On the other hand, it can be a challenge to get your voice heard. So as everyone is in from different groups and coming from different places is sort of struggling with that. Um, Because I love following you so much on Twitter and Instagram, um, I think, you know, finding a community somewhere like that can sort of be a help in this. We can sort of support each other through this. Uh, but at the same time, of course, social media and even, you know, beer Twitter in particular can be known for being toxic. You know, there's a lot of pitfalls there too. So, uh, I was just kind of curious, like how you sort of relate to social media and what your attitude and feelings, uh, maybe they change day to day. If you're like, I hate Twitter today, or like, I can't wait to connect with some people on Twitter today. Where do you, where do you sort of stand there on a day to day? Um, I think you've described actually described it perfectly. Um, there are days when you go on there and it's so toxic that you just want to shut it down and you just yeah. 
you just can't believe what you're reading. There are days when it can be the most incredibly supportive, um, wonderfully uplifting environment. Um, and there are days when you kind of think, why am I, why am I bothering with this? But I also think that particularly for, you know, for beer writers and for anyone else in the industry, um, drinks industry overall, hospitality industry, who's not on the ground, the, you know, the toxicity that we experience on beer Twitter, um, is, it's bad, but it's nothing like, I'm sure what it's like for the women, people of color, any other person from marginalized group who's on the front line, who's experiencing harassment in their place of work. I mean, in a worst case scenario, you're harassed on Twitter, you shut it down, mm -hmm. you block them, you just turn off Twitter, you can even, you, you can delete it. But if you're having to go into a place of work every day and are dealing with that kind of stress and harassment in person in real life, I mean, I think that that's, that really puts in perspective the kind of idiots that you get on beer Twitter and and the, the sort of the stress that, that that causes. So I feel like they that's it's it's worth keeping on going on and pushing and there are sometimes when yeah I just think oh my god I've had this conversation so many times why am I still having to have it why why but if you don't keep having it then someone's somewhere someone else further down the line could end up in a worse situation or ultimately people will just go on committing you know, behaviors they really shouldn't be and saying and thinking things that they shouldn't be talking about these issues and these struggles uh that so many people are facing uh like I, like you said it's everywhere but you know since we're talking in, in particular about drinks in the beer industry um and because you have been a part of the beer scene uh for a while how have the last two years or so and the events that have taken place changed or affected your own relationship you know have you did you go through a moment where you're like do I leave, like, do I burn this all down in my life? Like, forget it. I'm walking away from beer. Like, has it changed your relationship with craft beer at all? Um, I wouldn't say that I ever thought I'm going to walk away from beer. I have thought I'm going to walk away from certain breweries, which I have done, yeah. which I am I'm very, very comfortable with. And I think that, I know a lot of people think that boycotting, uh, cancel culture, etc. they have a big problem with that. They think it doesn't work at all, which is true up to a point, or they, people don't like having their habits changed and their behaviors questioned. But I do think that an extent of accountability is really important. And I think that everything that has happened in the last couple of years, it's the only po positive we could possibly get out of that is for there to be a greater understanding that people have to be accountable for their actions. I mean, I keep getting infuriated because nearly half a million people now have seen the BrewDog documentary and yet I still see it in my feed, people drinking BrewDog. Yes. <laughs> yeah. like, how, how, well, how can you not be aware or how can you not care? But, but people don't. And that's why we have to keep banging on about it <laughs> because they, some people just, they, they want to drink what they want to drink and they don't care about the consequences. And it's kind of ironic because sometimes I see those people's profiles and they can be very political. And it's like, if you understand about politics, how can you not understand that if you're drinking a beer brewed by somebody who is behaving in a way that's creating a toxic work environment, that you're taking a political action because you are. And I, yeah, I find that quite hard to get my head around. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a little baffling to say the mm. least. Mm. Um, before we get into some like lighter, quicker questions, um, I just I kind of want to like leave this conversation knowing where you sort of find yourself in terms of all these issues. I mean, just looking forward to the near future, to the far future. Are you feeling optimistic? Are you feeling skeptical somewhere in between about whether we can hope to see real change? Somewhere in between, definitely. Um, I am very, I mean, I've even um, back last May when these stories began to break in a sort of major way, I've been very, very skeptical because there can often be a moment, um, the sort of the reckoning moment as it's been described, where people are suddenly made aware of great injustices that are going on. People say they're going to make change. People take certain steps and then you go forward six months or a year and everyone's kind of forgotten about it. And that has been a, a concern for me. And I'm very, very wary of saying, oh, the beer industry has changed, the drinks industry has changed, because it hasn't changed sufficiently. And the changes that have been made or that are being made are still a long way from reaching the point that we want them to be at. So this is an ongoing project. This isn't something where you can say, oh, look, we have lifted a little on this. Oh, everything's fine now. And that makes me very skeptical. But at the same time, when I speak with so many people in the industry who really do want to make change, I talk to people like, you um and i think okay there, there are people who are taking this seriously this is uh, there is a chance that we can actually move forward and uh, be be better and do better so yeah definitely with the with the mixed there i i'm with you i'm i think i'm like in the exact same boat and it's definitely the conversations with individuals like you that make me feel hopeful again so i'm happy and grateful for that um, okay, so as, as I said, we'll, we'll get to uh, just some like kind of like fun, almost sort of a lightning round sort of questions. Um, I, I think that this is hard because you, Austin is like an amazing craft beer scene, but I, I just want to know if you can even pick a favorite, just that's sort of like a go-to. Um, I absolutely couldn't pick one. <laughs> absolutely not. Someone else asked me this recently, and I think I managed to get it down to seven or eight. So, oh, well done. And that was that. That was quite a challenge. But yeah, I mean, the, the the beer scene here is amazing. It's so dynamic. It's just. And, and and it's so it's so fresh. It's so so enthusiastic, and and it's a great community. There's a lot of um, internal support. Um, other people have been speaking to um, recently who I've been interviewing just talk about how it's really really special the way that um, people here in our community uh, look out for one another, um, but also just the fact that. There's so much diversity in the actual beer that's being brewed here. We don't have a sort of, you don't, you don't come to this city for one thing. It's, yeah, we have everything and it's all done well. Um, the fact that we had new breweries opening during the pandemic, um, who, who are still going. Unfortunately, yes, we did, we did lose some, but then you know, everybody did. We're not alone in that. But I think that shows that there's such an interest and 
demand and excitement about um, about craft beer here. So I'm really looking forward to sort of yeah, see, seeing the scene continue to, to grow and develop and not just um, in Austin and Central Texas, across the state as a whole. You know, if I travel to Houston or Dallas um, and even like many, many small towns, will have their own brewery but there's always yeah there's always something great to drink yeah Yeah, it's brilliant um what about elsewhere uh like if you're doing a beercation of sorts or or just if you've traveled anywhere that was super super memorable like any any favorite breweries that stand out for you anywhere else um obviously um i have my favorites back in london um and in the uk generally there's um, some really exciting new new breweries um, and new stuff happening there. I wish I'd had um, more beer occasions lately. It's um, yeah, it, it, it's it's been very very limited um, in terms of like I used to travel a lot more around Europe, but obviously that's yeah that's not happened for a while. Um, we recently did a trip um, up north uh, around um, we did five or six states up north. The beer scene in Chicago never ceases to never ceases to amaze me it's just so exciting and again just so much so much choice so much great stuff um and that was it was just a joy to be back I've not been for um, a couple of years uh so that was yeah that's definitely somewhere that I think I'll, I'll sort of always keep um keep going back to for beer but um I'm really looking forward to doing um yeah doing more more beer traveling outside of Texas in the near future yeah, I, I recently got to Chicago for the first time, uh, being of drinking age, and I, I, it blew my expectations out of the water. The beer scene there it was so fun. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, and again, it's it's so many different things going on, which is yeah, which is really really cool. Yeah, um, so I'm curious about this next one because I I feel like also perhaps affected by the pandemic people being at home more and everything this has changed for a lot of people so i'm curious if there's a beer style in particular that you're sort of especially always reaching for the most or the most excited to grab um and if that has like if there is a style right now that you're always going for if that's changed in like the recent past um i think i've kind of done done the sort of quite traditional thing of sort of go going through a phase of just drinking mostly IPAs to um, drinking mostly lagers um, and now I'm drinking a lot of mixed fermentation beer a lot um, we have some amazing uh, breweries doing some really really great stuff here which is is tons and tons of fun um, but I really I think it's also because I started off drinking a lot of wine and I've kind of really missed that and I think uh, especially yeah, during lockdown I did go back to to, um, to drinking wine, which I haven't for ages. And, and for me, like mixed fermentation beer, it's that kind of sweet wine beer spot. And yeah. I'm just really, really enjoying the complexity um, and the flavours that come from wild yeast. But also just like the fact that a lot of it is what I'm having now is very, very local to, um, yeah, to where we live. Um, and just um, really, really beautifully made. And I think that that's, yeah, that's definitely sort of my, my current, but that said, um, 
I am never, never sort of gone off any particular style. There's nothing that if it's like, if it's really, really well made, there's nothing I'll sort of say, oh, no, I wouldn't, you wouldn't catch me drinking that. <laughs> <laughs> Try to be as open-minded as possible yeah. at all times. <laughs> is there, it doesn't have to be an all-time favorite at all, but just like, is there a beer that you are sort of excited about as of late in particular? Um... Oh, again, I couldn't possibly pick one. Um, <laughs> I really, I was really, really excited for and excited about the uh, launch of um, Austin Beerworks just released a collaboration with a local textile company called Kaiju Cut and Sew to raise money for Stop AAPI Hate. It's actually the first beer that's been brewed specifically to um, raise money uh, and support um, Stop AAPI Hate. And I'm really, really blown away by the quality of the beer. It's a um, strong lager designed to be poured over ice, which sounds like Ooh. I should hate it because normally me mixing beer, ice, no, just no. <laughs> but because it's actually brewed in a way where um, to um, reflect um, the fact that in a lot of um, Asian countries, particularly in the Philippines, that is how strong lagers drunk because of the humidity. Mm. It really, really worked beautifully. The launch was on a very, very, very sunny day. Uh, they had the Texas um, Dragon Lion dance team there performing for the Lunar New Year. It was just a wonderful experience. And the beer is something something pretty special, um, as well as being for a great cause. So that's um, definitely a new a new release that I'm very excited about and stunning, stunning artwork as well. Ooh, yeah, well, I'll link to that. That sounds amazing. Um, what about, what's your sort of preferred beer enjoyment environment? Like, are you, are you like happiest in a tap room or like enjoying it at home or sort of like a cool beer bar? Like where's, where's best for you? Everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> I read the question and I was just like, there's no possible way I can <laughs> Oh gosh. No, everywhere. I mean, I'm equally happy sort of uh, just having beers at home with friends or sort of bustling around a busy beer festival trying, checking out different things or just relaxing in a tap room, petting other people's dogs for an afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really am just... As, uh, if, as long as there's a good atmosphere, good people, ideally, especially being uh, Central Texan, good music mm. um, and great beer, then yep, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Everything sort of everywhere. It's like every style of beer having its place. Every sort of style of venue also does. And there's a, yeah, there's a space for everything and a mood for everything. So, yeah, yeah, count, count me in for all of it. <laughs> <laughs> What about uh, any any trends? Are there any current trends in beer that you are extra psyched about? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I'm really not sure. I'm sort of, you mean like for, looking forward? Uh, now and forward I mean anything from you know sub styles like I know so uh, for example up here in the northeast uh I feel like I've been noticing more than ever a lot of like Mexican hot chocolate inspired stouts um I feel like smoked beers are starting to really have a resurgence like is there anything that you're especially jazzed about 
I would love the idea of, of more smoked beers because yeah. <laughs> that's one of my absolute favourite styles. Uh, one of the beer occasions I would most like to do uh, when when possible is to visit Bamberg and mm. to just go to the Schilling Keller tap room and just like sit there for a very, very, very long time. We have um, amazing smoked um, beer here from Live Oak uh, who are just actually very close to, um, to my house uh, and who do wonderful, wonderful smoked beers, including a perfect Krzyzycki and they did a beautiful smoked um, Oktoberfest as well it's really a style that I feel that there's just yet there's not enough of and particularly like ranging across different um different beer styles and the Schellenkerla smoked uh, Martin and smoked Doppelbock are just among my favorites so um that if we see more of those that would be a real yeah a real real plus for me um i'm still sort of not a hundred percent about cold ipas but i think it's because of the weather i think that when the summer hits i'm going to be like these are amazing these are absolutely amazing because you know it's like the flip side of the ipl which yeah which i do really um enjoy uh I'm very, very big on um, Russian Imperial Stouts with as few adjuncts as possible. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I've seen a lot more this year, I think, than I have um, in previous years. So I think getting getting back to basics with the Russian Imperial Stout is definitely something um, I am behind. And yeah, really, really great. Getting, Getting ready for a great lager season. Yeah, as always. Yeah, looking looking forward to some really really good um pilsners coming up in the summer. Oh yeah. Um. Okay. Just to sort of end here, this is my sort of like what my other beer people like not know about you or or any something like that. I'm just curious if you want to talk about any favorite of anything, favorite hobby, favorite band, favorite TV show, anything like outside of beer. Uh, I just kind of nerd out on popular culture generally. Um, I love, love, love going to cinema. I love going to gigs. I mean, that's why we moved to Austin is just, yeah, because of the live music scene here is is so dynamic. Um, in the time I've lived here, I've got really into country music, which if you'd said that to me 10 years ago, I would have said would never have happened. <laughs> but I'm, yeah, hugely, hugely into uh, both classic and contemporary country music now, but I still love listening to indie and pop music as well. But yeah, now sort of like we're getting more live shows back which is great yeah that's where i can i can usually be found if i'm not in a brewery we'll be uh, watching watching live music oh yeah another really peak uh beer enjoyment uh, uh, experience right with live music exactly yeah exactly um all right well I, i'm sad that our time has come to an end i this was so much fun i'm so happy to have gotten to know you a bit better um, I'm going to link to things. People will be hearing this in about a week or two from when we're talking. Uh, so I just want to, like, if you want to like plug anything or talk about any sort of recent stories that people can go check out or just where to find you. Um, you can find me at, at amethyst underscore heels on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and my blog is Craft Beer Amethyst. All my writing is in the recent posts section. Uh, not just my writing, anything I do like this, um, I'll have a <laughs> link to. Um, so if anyone wants to sort of check out my uh, back catalogue, as it were, that's the um, that's the best place to look. Um, yeah, 
I think we've, yeah, we've talked about a lot of my, um, yeah, my big articles I've done recently. And yeah, keep a lookout for fresh content. It's always coming. Um, I just published something for camera on um, spent grain reuse, which is pretty cool. Um, and I've got some more stuff coming out for them later this year. So yeah, yeah, keep a lookout. I'm very excited to keep on reading everything that you're writing. Uh, so I'm sure we'll be chatting again in the future. Thank you so much again and cheers, Rubini. Oh, cheers. <laughs> so much again to Ruvini and thank you all for listening. Let me know what you think of the podcast and if there's anyone you'd like to hear interviewed. You can email me at huggingthebar at gmail.com or find the newsletter on Instagram at huggingthebar. Please share the podcast and newsletter with anyone you think would enjoy it. Subscribing is free and Patreon support gets you early podcast access, free swag, and more. Find links, info, and newsletter issues at huggingthebar.substack.com. Until next time, I hope you enjoy whatever it is that you're drinking.